Put it all in his hands. Not just some of it. Put it all in his hands. Yes, I put it all in his hands. This or that. Put it all in his hands. Boy, praise God. I mean, I, I mean, we took it back a little bit. It is Black History Month. I'm just saying. Put it all in the sand. In his hands. <laughs> in his hands. I put it all in his hands. Praise God. We got a, a God who's big enough to hold your problems. We got a God big enough to keep all your issues. We serve a God who's strong enough to lift them up. But not only did he lift them up, he buried them in the tomb. And he left them there. And there's freedom and deliverance in Christ Jesus. That you know that when you trust in him with all thine heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. He shall direct your paths. We serve a faithful God who loves us and cares about us, every aspect, every facet of, of our lives. Praise God. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his faithfulness, for your presence today. Thank you for our choir lifting up, lifting us up in, in praise this morning. Praise God. Praise God. Well, this morning. I'd like to welcome you to the gathering of the church at Forest Baptist. Uh, once again, we, we, we can never take for granted the fact that we're able to show up from week to week. Even in the span of a week, so many situations and circumstances take place that we can never take for granted that we're able to walk in here by our right mind and able to lift up praises unto the Lord. So indeed, welcome here to all of our guests. It is good to be with you, good to have you, and I pray that the Lord will minister to you, reveal to you himself in new and marvelous ways. Upon this week, we continue to lift up the entire Britt family, Sister, Sister Kyle Hurst, Sister Janice. Thank you for your faithfulness, even on this, in this difficult week. And you are absolutely right. Had it not been for the Lord on your side. Where would we, any of us, be? So we give God praise for his grace this week. We, we lift up this nation. Uh, our prayers for those in Florida, our prayers for those in Kentucky, and the numerous um, states and, and schools that have been plagued by violence. Um, yet another reason and uh, motivation for us to let our light so shine before men that they will see our good works and give glory to the Father above because uh, legislation won't change folks' hearts. The laws and the rule of government is not what changes people's hearts, even though it is necessary and needed. Uh, but yet, ultimate change is from the inside out. When the Holy Spirit lays hold of someone's heart and brings transformation. So we are praying for those who have been touched and affected so deeply. Well, this morning, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 
the Gospel of Matthew, the 28th chapter, as we continue in our series, Why on Earth is the Church? Why is the church even here? Let us not take for granted that question and being able to answer it because there are so many people who ask that question. Why is the church even here? But the Lord has an answer and particularly today is uh, part two um, from where we started last week answering the question, what is the mission of the church? So if you would, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word as we Look at Matthew, the 28th chapter, beginning with the 16th verse. A familiar text, a text that has been called the Great Commission. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth hath, has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May the Lord a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Again, just placing a tag upon this text. What is the mission of the church? What is the mission of the church? Let us go before this awesome God, our mighty God, and pray this morning. O gracious and eternal Father, Lord Most High, we just come acknowledging you in your presence, thanking you for another day. Thanking you for another opportunity to give glory and honor to your name. For your word declares worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power. For by your hand all things were created. And by your will they exist and were created. Lord, we belong to you. Lord, whether as creation or, or child, we all belong to you. And Lord, we are so grateful and so thankful that you have room in your hands for broken people like us. Lord, you have room in your hands for all of our situations and circumstances. Lord, you have room in your hands for all the problems and all the, the issues of life that we go through on a regular basis. Lord, you have room in your hands for our sins. Which you have placed upon Jesus Christ and crucified with him on the Calvary's cross. For that, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to gather once again on this first day of the week, this Lord's Day, to lift you up, to encourage one another, and to hear from on high. So, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would please, please open up our eyes that we may see Jesus. Father, open up our ears that we would hear from you. Lord, I beg that you would prepare our hearts to receive a word from you and that we will be transformed and changed and not the same. Lord, help us to be close to you. Lord, I ask that you would remove every stagnant sin. That you would use us to bring forth and shine forth your glory and creation. But most of all, dear God, I ask that you would use us to bring glory to your name by making disciples of Jesus Christ. 
So, Father, even as we look at this text, Lord, I ask that you would move and that you would convict us of our sin, convict us of our slothfulness, convict us of our selfishness, convict us of our self-centeredness, convict us, Lord, of our disobedience. But Lord, as you convict us, remind us of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that by grace we have been saved. Father, I beg that you would use my foolish words to bring ultimate glory to you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Indeed, on last week we began to embark on a journey to answer the question, what is the mission of the church? And in essence, last week we began to talk about the purpose and the mission of the church. The purpose and the mission of the church and, and began to try to explain the differences between purpose and mission. Where, where purpose is, is more aligned to why you have been created or, or why are you here for. The mission is accomplishing what you have been created to do. We use the illustration of a hammer. It's easy to look at a hammer and already know what that hammer is for. We don't have to try to figure out what that hammer is for, what it's meant to do. We don't have to wonder if it's used for an athletic event. We don't have to wonder if it's used for uh, cooking or cleaning. When we, when we look at a hammer, we know that it's, 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 it's been created for building. It's been created to uh, construct. That is the purpose of a hammer, but... But that hammer can only fulfill its mission when it is used to build things, when it's used to build a home, when it's used to build a deck. We, 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 we talked about the difference between purpose and mission. And we, we talked about the Christian life in the church when people see the church and not just the, the, the building, when, when people see us coming. They should know our purpose. They should know why we have been made and they should know that we have been created for God's glory, but even though we, we have been created for God's glory, we have a mission to accomplish that is to spread his glory forth throughout all of creation. That's why we have been created. And last week we distilled this purpose and mission into two things, really Christian being and Christian doing. A lot of times we get caught up with just being a Christian, with, 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 with trying to live right and trying to do the things that we that are expected of us just to try to be a Christian. And, and beloved, to be honest, sometimes it's hard enough just to try to be a Christian. In our jobs and in our relationships and we coming up against people and, and, and they're sinners and we're sinners. And, and it's hard just to be a Christian sometimes, but that's not the whole story. That's just part of the story, part of our purpose, because our mission is to do the church. Christian being and Christian doing, but unfortunately the we have created this false dichotomy where we're, we're willing to come to church, but we're not willing to tell people what we've learned in church. We're willing to show up to Sunday school, but we're not willing to school anyone else about the, the goodness of Jesus Christ. And God has created us not just to be recipients of grace, but to be dispensers of grace all throughout the community and those we come in contact with. This is a false dichotomy because if we are to be the church, we must understand that the culmination of 
Christian being and Christian doing is what the church is. That's who we are. The church, Christian doing and Christian being. And we don't just come up with that on our own, but we see this in scripture. We see Jesus Christ, he's entering into towns and he's teaching and he's preaching, but not only is he teaching and preaching, but he is healing and he is feeding. He's demonstrating the Christian life for us. He's showing us the balance of being and doing. And remember last week we talked about if we're only worried about Christian being, then we can easily become Pharisees. Looking at everyone else and wondering why they're not as saved as we are. Why they're not as holy as we are. Why, why they keep doing those foolish and, and sinful things and not like us. So we can become Pharisees when we're only worried about being a Christian. But then on the other end of that, we can be, become pragmatists when we're only thinking about doing what well, we got to get out and we got to do, we got to do, we got to help. And it's by any means necessary. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter who we represent. We only worried about doing, but Jesus Christ gives us this balance of Christian being and Christian doing. He wants us to hold those intention together. And we see that on display here in Matthew, the 28th chapter, verses 16 through 20, Jesus gives us a, a, a wonderful example of this balance between Christian being and Christian doing. And last week we said from this text, there were three mission objectives for the church. From the text, we see that the church is, uh, is to make disciples for Christ. The church is here to mark disciples for Christ. But then the church is also here to mature disciples for Christ. And last week, we just touched on the first point. The church is to make disciples for Christ. That is the mission. That is the purpose. We are here to make disciples for Christ. A disciple is a learner, a follower. We said that a disciple was one to make disciples is to initiate or instruct a disciple in ways or teachings of a specific teacher or leader. To cause someone to become a disciple or follower of. When, when Jesus is saying go and make disciples. He is saying go and make followers of me. You follow me. I have saved you. I have delivered you. I have redeemed you. Now you go and make other disciples of me. This pronunciation, this proclamation is based upon Jesus' authority. He says, all authority has been given to me. That means Jesus, he's in, he's in charge of it all. He holds all in his hands. He, because he is in charge of it all, because he is the name that is above every single name, when he gives a command, we, we obey his command, but when he gives a command, he actually clears the way that we can fulfill that command. When he's saying, and I all have all authority, that means ain't nobody going to stop what I have caused you to do. If I've caused you to do it, you will be able to because I have all authority. Satan's minions cannot stop me because I am the risen Savior. Death can't hold me. Disease can't stop me. Nations bow down at my name. And it's because I am who I am. Now you can go as one of my disciples. It's because of Jesus' authority. He clears the way. Yeah, I don't have many of them down here. It just reminds me in Michigan before we can, in the winter, before we could go down the street, we, the, the, the snow plow needed to come. 
to clear the way so we can get out of our home, so we can get down the street. And, and Jesus going to Calvary's cross, his, his death by him being raised up high and, and stretched wide, Jesus has, has cleared a way for us to go and make disciples. Because all authority is in his hands. And we're not, we're not making our own disciples, we're making Jesus' disciples. And last week we began by saying, Simply this command in verse 19 to go, therefore, we make disciples with a great message. When we go and make disciples, we're not going with a healthy opinion. We, 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 we don't go with a, well, this is how I feel about the situation. We go with a message given directly by Jesus Christ. Look with me again at Mark, the 16th chapter. What do we go and what do we say? And what of the parallel accounts of the Great Commission in Mark, the 16th chapter, verse fi verses 15 and 16, we hear Jesus uh, elaborating. We hear a, a fuller account of what's taking place in this go, therefore. In verse 15, and, and he says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. To the whole creation, verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So what is this gospel that we're to proclaim? Turn with me to Luke, the 24th chapter. The gospel is the English word for the euangelion, the good news. Again, another parallel account of this great commission in Luke, the 24th chapter, beginning with the 44th verse, Jesus is speaking and he says to them, these are my words. And I spoke to you that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And said to them, thus, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in, the in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. The gospel is a message that Jesus suffered on your behalf, that we were we, we were while we were yet sinners, Christ came and he did something. The wrath of God was upon you, but because you have been disobedient, because you have been living for yourself, because of your sinfulness, because of your selfishness, you deserve to die. You deserve to suffer. You deserve God's wrath. But instead of uh, the, all who follow Jesus Christ receiving God's wrath, Jesus suffered and died for us. That's good news. And because Jesus has suffered and died, we now are able to have repentance. Beloved, just, just think about that for a moment. Because Jesus Christ has suffered and died, he allows you the opportunity to turn around. Because of his shed blood and broken body, we actually have second chances. 
third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, sixth chances. I don't know about y'all. I, I, I don't need it. I needed every one of those chances because there's been times where I've been acting a fool and I and I haven't turned around. But but because of Jesus Christ, we are able to turn around. Don't take that word for granted. Repentance. So many people don't repent. And they're headed headlong into a hell and an eternal existence separated from the goodness of God. But God, in his mercy, by his grace, he woke up fools like us, like you and me. He woke us up when we was in our mess. And he, he, he reached for us when we were in our sin and he allowed us to turn around. That's good news. And not only does he allow us to turn around, but he said, I'm going to clean up what you've been messing up. All that mess and all that foolishness that you left behind is like being at home with my children sometimes. They come through the room. The room was clean before they got there. But as soon as they leave out, it's toe up from the flow up. And some of your lives, you've done come into some rooms and you done toe up from the flow up and made some messes. But Jesus Christ says, because of my shed blood, and my broken body, and because I have all authority, I can pronounce that those who turn towards me can have the forgiveness of sin. That is the gospel message. The gospel message ain't go to church and you'll go to heaven. The gospel message is not just be nice to people and you will be all right. The gospel message is not if you just watch what you do, then the big man upstairs will allow you in. No, the gospel message is that you are a sinner in need of a savior. And that savior is Jesus Christ alone. That is the gospel message. We don't preach morality. We preach Christ crucified and that through repentance and faith and, and, and those two, they, 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 they're mutually exclusive. They, they have to go together. I can't come to Jesus with just repentance. I can't just say I'm sorry. I got to believe that somebody did something to allow my guilt to be taken care of. And I, and I can't come to Jesus just thinking I believe in him so I can go to heaven. I have to have repentance and faith. I got to actually be sorry about something I was doing. Because if I don't believe that I'm wrong, if, if I don't believe that I, I, I'm guilty, if I just think that, that this salvation is like a Boy Scout bass that I just added to my life, that I have the gospel wrong. And I'm headed to hell because the gospel says through repentance and faith, one is saved. We must know the whole gospel. And we are witnesses of this gospel through our words. He says, go, therefore, we go and we open up our mouths. If if I'm sharing good news, that means I actually have to say something to somebody. I can't share the gospel with closed lips. I can't share the gospel by not saying anything to my co-workers. I can't share the gospel without telling my my cousins and and my my brothers and my sisters that they are sinners uh, in the hands of an angry God. I can't can't share the gospel unless I open my mouth. So not only do I 
share the gospel with my words, but I demonstrate the gospel with my deeds. This is what they say, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? Uh, this is not a, 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 a sinless perfection, but somebody need to see something different about your life. If, 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 I, if I say I know Jesus, then something different is going to be about, uh, it's going to come into my life. I love what Sister Janice said this morning that if, if, if your God ain't an awesome God, then you don't know God. If Jesus hasn't changed your life, then you ain't a follower of Jesus. That is the gospel message that we are to proclaim in both word and in deed. So last week we saw that we make disciples with a great message. But then this week, we want to look at verse 19 for our next point. In verse 19, A, it says, go therefore and make disciples. Right there. Go therefore and make disciples. That word make, create, to, to do this. What Jesus is saying is that disciples are not made by accident. Disciples are not made by happenstance. They, they don't just turn up. But disciples are made by, by, by God's people, by the church. So what we see in verse 19a is that we make disciples with great intentionality. With great intentionality. Because this passage is called the Great Commission. Have you ever been commissioned to do something? A commission is under the authority of one who holds authority. They, they, they designate you and select you to do something. So a perfect example, this week we saw the, the presidential portraits of, uh, of Barack Obama and, and Michelle Obama, right? And, and those portraits were commissioned under the authority of the Smithsonian Institute. And, 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 and what is going to take place is those artists, they created these portraits. They were directed to create them. And, and those portraits will be placed in the Smithsonian Institute for all to see. They were commissioned. See, a commissioning has an expectation that something's going to come out of that commissioning. Would they have succeeded in their commission if all the pomp and circumstance were you were selected to paint this portrait of President Barack Obama? And then months later, they show up with like, where's the portrait? We're like, uh, well, I ain't got it yet. Then some other months go by and they show back up. Well, where's the portrait? Well, I ain't got it yet. You know, at, 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 at some point, when somebody's been commissioned to do something, a product shows up. And if Jesus is commissioning his church to go ye therefore and make disciples, if you ain't making disciples, then you ain't following your commission. There's something that shows up as a result of this commission, which is why Jesus says, go and make disciples. That's something that we have to do. I can't rely upon anyone else. I can't pass the book. But if I am part of the church, God's chosen people, then I must make disciples. 
We see this example in Jesus's ministry himself. In John, the fourth chapter in the first verse, the, the Pharisees, they're, 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 they're fussing about Jesus. They're complaining about Jesus because people are following him. And in John, the fourth chapter in the first verse, it simply says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. We can stop right there. Jesus was making disciples. Jesus didn't just come to hang out with a bunch of folks. Jesus didn't come to make people feel good about themselves. He didn't come and say, you can have your best life now. Jesus came and said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying, you've been acting a fool. You've been living for yourself, but the king is here. The king is here. Repent and turn. He is making disciples. And then at the end of Jesus' ministry in John, the 20th chapter, the 21st verse, he says this. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Jesus says, follow my lead. I'm not going to tell you to do something I ain't willing to do also. I'm not one who says, do as I say, but not as I do. Jesus gives us the, the ultimate example of how to make disciples and in Luke 6 we we see some of the pattern of what Jesus is doing in Luke 6 we see that Jesus he steals away and he prays he 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 initiates and engages God to understand who he needs to be discipling he doesn't just come up uh come up in his own mind of who he wants to disciple see that's what we do see if they look nice enough if they halfway got it together if they got a car if they got gas if they ain't gonna ask me for no money oh yeah I disciple you See, but Jesus had a bunch of bunch of messed up folks. He had some zealots. He had some crazy folks. He had some folks who wanted to overthrow the government. He had people want to lay down to the government. See, Jesus had all kind of folks with him. That's why he needed to pray about it. Jesus, he, he prays about, Lord, who do you want me to pour my life into? Who do you want me to call to myself? Disciple making starts with prayer, but it doesn't stay there because the, the text in Luke 6 says, and then he went and chose his disciples. See, if you're going to if you're going to make disciples, you got to get up and do something. You got to initiate contact. Well, I, you know, I was just waiting. You know what? Stop waiting for everybody to come get you to do something. Why don't you initiate some contact for Jesus? Jesus, he gets up and he goes and he chooses his disciples. This is action and activity. He's making disciples. He, he goes out and he, and he says, the Lord, the Lord sent me to your door. Come follow me. The Lord sent me to you. Come, come follow me. And, he, and he's showing them that, that this is not me just coming for you, but God has got a plan for your life. See, sometimes we got to get up to help others to understand that God has a plan for their life. We worried about people always telling us that God got a plan for our life. How about you let God use you to be a mouthpiece for him to tell somebody else he has a plan for their life? Luke 6, he, 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 is, he, is, he started with prayer. Then he gets up and he does something. But then the rest of the Gospels, what do we see? 
Jesus is, sp is spending time with his disciples. Life on life. That's how you make disciples, life on life. All throughout the Gospels, from the time Jesus' ministry starts, he is surrounded by the disciples. They're going from Galilee to Jerusalem, Samaria. They're always together. And Jesus is, is he, he's out preaching, but the text always says, and when everyone was gone, Jesus stole away with his disciples. And he would elaborate on, 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 on what he was teaching about. He gave, he gave some after-hours study, some study sessions, and he was teaching the disciples. You know why I said this? Because them Pharisees like this. You know why I said that? Because this is what's going on in man's heart. And he, he steals away and he, he shows them what it means to be a disciple of his. He opens and illustrates and teaches and talks. And he, he shares meals and he, he shares heartbreak. He shares the mountains. He shares the valleys. Jesus is doing his life with these men. That's how you make disciples. You can't be closed off and make disciples for Jesus. You can't be, well, I'm just minding my own business when you're making disciples. Well, I just want my own space. You can't have your own space and making disciples. It just doesn't work like that. And it ain't just me talking. I ain't just trying to, uh, to mess with you. I'm trying to show you what Jesus is doing. Well, you know, I'm busy. He was controlling the galaxy and the universe. He was making sure the sun rose and the sun set. He was making sure the birds had food and the, the lilies was beautiful as they could be. But you talk about you ain't got time. Jesus, he gave, he, he made sure that he was patient and doing everything he did. Making disciples. See, beloved, it takes two things that we don't have a lot of to make disciples. It takes time and patience. Time and patience. See, it takes time. See, what we like to do, we like, we, we like to bottle up drive-by holiness. We see someone walking out, we know they've been struggling. We thought, well, what you need to do is start reading your Bible a little bit more. Well, what you need to do is start praying about that situation a little bit more. As we drive by and get in our car. Telling folks we're going to pray for them and never do. I'm, I'm meddling. Let me preach. Let me preach. It takes time. We see for three years, Jesus gave of himself to these men to make disciples. But then also, we see that it takes patience. Jesus didn't expect them to be on his level when he met them. Jesus knew, he, he knew where they were. He knew how messed up and, and, and full of sin that their life was. He, he, knew, he knew Peter had anger issues. But he was patient. Jesus wasn't going off on them because they didn't get it right. Jesus wasn't going off of them because they missed their devotion, their quiet time. Jesus wasn't like, well, did you do your quiet time this morning? 
He was loving them. Time and patience. See, but this is the gist of what Paul is saying in Colossians, the first chapter and the 29th verse. See, verse 28, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we present them mature in Christ. He, he said, that, that's, that's my job. My, my job is to preach and teach in such a way that, that, that Jesus is being lifted up and people are growing in their faith. But then in verse 29, he goes on and says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What Paul is saying is making disciples ain't easy. Making disciples get messy. Making disciples take some of your time and your money. Making disciples means that folks actually got to be able to go into your refrigerator sometime. Making disciples actually means that you're going to have to give some folks some wrath sometime. Making disciples means you're going to be inconvenienced sometime. But Paul is saying that it is a struggle to make this. It ain't easy. It ain't cute to walk around with, yeah, you know, they my disciples. No, if you got disciples, sometimes your hair going to be to the side. Your makeup going to be ran. Your tie going to be falling up. Your, your shoe going to be un untied because it's messy and it's hard. Making disciples for Christ. Have you met you? Have you really met yourself? Do you know how difficult you is? For somebody to ask yourself, would I want to make a disciple of me? Ask yourself that. Because I wake up in the morning like, oh, Lord, bless my wife. Because I'm crazy. Lord, Lord, give her a special anointing today. Because I'm in one of those moves and she's going to need to deal with me. For God to love you so much. He's willing to allow someone to deal with your mess. Time. And patience. But when that takes place, we fulfill the scriptures. Turn with me to Titus. Titus, the second chapter. Paul is writing to Titus. He's talking about the church and how to organize the church and how they had to get everything together. In Titus, the second chapter, verses 1 through 8, and, and he's writing and he says to them, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Then he says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, so he's talking about the church, y'all, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. That means you don't just stop. You don't just give up steadfastness and verse 3 says older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to, to much wine he says they are to teach what is good and so train the young woman women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled pure working at home he's talking about doing something being faithful at what you do Kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. 
Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Who's doing the urging? Who's doing the urging? Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Who, who's showing these young men how to, how to do good works? And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Stop talking out the side of your neck to these young, these young cats. Talking about, oh, when you get married, it's going to be a bad. Stop talking to them. Tell them worldly stuff. Sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opportunity may be put to that an opponent may be put to shame. You know who our opponent is? Satan. He hates anything that God does. Having nothing evil to say about us. See, when, when we take time and when we're patient, we fulfill the call of this Titus 2. Older men and older women, discipling and teaching and training. This is the church. Paul is saying the church should be laid out like this. And part of discipleship, part of making disciples is for older, more mature men to give up their lives for younger men. And part of the church is older, more mature women giving up their lives for younger women. That's what is to take place in the church. But we're so caught up on ourselves. We're so caught up on our time. But yet Galatians 2.20 says, I, we, we, we so quick to say Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but yet Christ who lives in me. And this life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We will quote that, but we won't sacrifice. Because that means when I give up my life, that means I ain't doing everything I want to do. I ain't going everywhere where I want to go. And if we are going to be a church that is making disciples, we have to be obedient to God's word and begin to pour into one another. Who are you discipling? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Who are you discipling? Beloved, the, the Bible lays out this pattern of discipleship that is supposed to be taking place. It's a, it's a threefold pattern. One, we, we, we must have a, a, a Paul type in our life. Someone who is pouring into us. Someone who is walking with us, who is showing us how to pray. Showing us how to read the Bible. See, see, we want people to come to church, but we don't want people to come to Christ. You come to Christ by, by getting into prayer and getting into the scriptures. And, and a disciple shows someone how to meet Jesus. Through word and through prayer and through actions, just doing life. It don't have to be formal. Because if if prayer and scripture is part of your life, then whoever's in your life is gonna see that aspect of your life. But then we have, we, we, we have a Barnabas type relationship, someone who is walking with us, who's a peer, more our age, someone we can continue to confide in and in Proverbs 17, as iron sharpens iron, so does a brother sharpen one another. We, we, we sharpen one another. We help one another. But then, discipleship requires that I have a Timothy type in my life. Someone that I am pouring into. 
someone that I am spending time with. It, but beloved, if we're going to make disciples, we got to do it Jesus's way. Because if not, we're just being disobedient. We're just disobedient. If you are walking with Jesus and no one is speaking into your life and you are not walking with anyone in life and you are not pouring into anyone in life, then you are being disobedient. And we have to be careful because disobedience grows. And if we're disobedient in one aspect of our life, then we'll be disobedient in another area of our life. If we don't take God's word seriously on one issue of life, then we won't take God's word seriously in another issue of life. And even as we are make disciples, say, say, yeah, I got it. That's what I'm doing. We, we even have to be careful on how we make disciples because we can, we can go to two extremes. We can go to the, the, the extreme of where I'm only being disciple. We want everyone to pour into us. We mad because people ain't talking to us. People ain't reaching out to us. People ain't praying for us. People ain't helping us out. But on the other extreme, we, we can be uh, uh, caught up with only discipling. Well, we only telling folks what to do. We telling folks where to go and telling folks what, uh, what they need to be happening in their life. But God gives us the balance where we are being spoken into and we speak out of. That means we are teachable. But then we are teachers. Beloved, we got to get this. We got to get this right if we're going to be a disciple-making church. If we don't model discipleship rightly as the church, how can we ever expect the body of Christ to grow as the church? This is hard. This is hard. We make disciples with great intentionality. Take some. Take some time this this week to pray about Lord. Who are you leading my way? Lord, who do you want me to engage? Take some time to pray about it. Ask God. It, this is the, the beautiful thing about Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That means that if I've been disobedient, I could come back to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, Lord, I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm sorry, Lord. Now help me to be a disciple maker. Show me, Lord, who do you want me to involve in their life? So we pray about it, but then we actually choose someone. Walk up to somebody and say, hey, can we grab a bite to eat? Would you like to come over? Can we meet? And you begin to pour into somebody. And then we begin to do life on life. That, that person is allowed in my life. Guess what that means, beloved? We can't have no secret lives because they're going to see it. That's why, we, that's why we don't like discipleship. We, we just don't want people in our business. But God says you ain't got no business because your business affects the whole body of Christ. Your business is my business. So we might as well just work together in this and, and help one another carry our loads. But that's what God created us to do, to help one another carry these loads in life. That's, that's when... The world looks upon the church and say, what are y'all doing? Y'all actually trust one another? Y'all actually love one another? Y'all actually care about one another? 
And the beauty of Christ is put on display when we live as the church. So we make disciples with great intentionality, but let me wrap up here. This is an impossible task. It's impossible. We'll never do it on our own strength. But beloved, God gives us everything we need because we make disciples with great power from God. Great power from God. And we see it in Jesus' ministry. In, Jesus, in his ministry in Matthew, the third chapter, as Jesus is baptized, we see the Holy Spirit fall upon him. Then immediately he goes into the wilderness. What is taking place? Jesus is demonstrating that his, his complete and total submission to the Holy Spirit is how he's going to do his ministry. He's not going to call upon his powers to, to hold the galaxy, to set stars in the sky, to, to, to raise the sun and, and the moon. He's not calling upon that power. He is living completely in the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3 and all throughout Jesus' ministry, he is depending upon the Holy Spirit to lead, to guide, to direct, to empower. And beloved, this is why Jesus reminds his disciples in Acts 1.8. Turn with me to Acts. Acts, the first chapter. Acts, the first chapter, beginning with verse 6. Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. He's getting ready to leave his disciples to continue with their earthly ministry. And he says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But then in verse eight, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Beloved, Jesus is not leaving us alone to do this in our own strength. He says, I will fill you with the Holy Spirit and you will supernaturally have the courage and the power and the patience and the time to go and make disciples. He's saying that, that every, in John 14, all, all, all these works that you have seen, you will do even more. When you have submitted yourself to the Holy Spirit, you will be able to make disciples. So we don't have to look at scripture and say, oh, I wish I was like Jesus. I don't have to look at scripture and say, oh, I wish I was like Paul. Or I, I wish I was like Timothy. Or I, I wish I was like Matthew. No, you don't have to wish you was like Peter because the same Holy Spirit that was living and residing in Peter is the same Holy Spirit that resides in the people of God. When he fills you with the Holy Spirit, you will have power and he will use you. You don't have to be so sophisticated and, and smart and, and eloquent in speech. He, he knows who you are. He made you. And he will use whatever gifts he has given you to make the name of Jesus known. Supernaturally. But see what the spirit does. When the spirit comes in, the spirit turns the disciples from inward to outward. You actually need the Holy Spirit to change you from looking inward all the time to look outward sometimes. The Holy Spirit changes and rearranges to, to make us think about the lost, those who are dying and headed to hell. Are you outward or inward focused? 
Beloved Christians, we have what we need. We have great power from God, and that power comes when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you exactly what you need, the Holy Spirit. So, so now you don't have to go to the temple to try to worship. The temple is going to be inside of you. I'm going to fill you and give you power. You don't, you don't have to look outside for the power. I'm going to fill you with the power to accomplish all that I've caused you to do. See, Jesus never calls us to anything without equipping us for that thing. And when we repent and turn from uh, living for ourselves, and when we say, Lord, I'm sorry for being disobedient. Would you please forgive me? And I, I know that you have come to give life and, and life more abundantly. Lord, I know that you have come to resurrect the dead. I, I know that you have come to bring deliverance. I, I know that you have come to bring redemption because you did it for me. When we get to that point, he fills us with the Holy Spirit. But it's only when we get to that point. Because, beloved, we... Before you can make a disciple, you have to be a disciple. In order to make a disciple of Christ, you have to know Jesus as your own Lord and Savior. In order to make a disciple, you have to actually follow Jesus. That's what Jesus says in Luke 9, 23. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. He's talking about the Christian life. So, beloved, is it, we have to be careful because we may not be making disciples because we're not a disciple of Christ. We may be members of a church, but we're not disciples of Christ. But the Lord is so gracious. And he says, today is the day of salvation. He says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. You don't have to keep running. You don't have to keep running. Just rest in Christ Jesus. Know that he is able to redeem you from your sins. And when we come to Jesus Christ, just as he did with the disciples when he first called them, he will make us fishers of men. Jesus begins his ministry with the expectation for his disciples. I am going to make you fishers of men. And then he bookends the end of his ministry by saying, now go and make disciples. That's what Jesus is doing for us. When we come to him, he says, I will make you fishers of men. And then he calls us to go out and to rescue those men, men, women, boys, and girls, to make them disciples of Christ. We make disciples. We make disciples with a great message. We make disciples with great intentionality. But then we make disciples with great power from God. It's not on us. It is him. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for challenging us today. Lord, thank you for hurting us so good that we will know our faults, but you are so gracious that you welcome us to you with open arms when we repent and turn. So Father, today I ask that one would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Lord. Open up blind eyes and deaf ears to understand that a life apart from Jesus Christ is a life headed to hell. Father, I ask that you will make one a follower of Jesus Christ. But then also, Lord, I ask that you would convict us and encourage us and cause us to make disciples for Christ. Lord, use our words and use our, our deeds. Help us to be intentional. Help us to be open and, 
Lord, because, because of your gospel, we don't have to be ashamed of our dirty lives. Because of your gospel, we can actually sh show our brokenness, knowing that the worst thing that has been said about us has already been declared on Calvary's cross. So, Father, I ask that you would give us a newfound freedom that we would be obedient to make disciples for you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.